did you know that studies have shown that being thankful can actually improve our physical and mental health? Yeah, holding on to feelings of thankfulness can boost our immune system and actually increases the blood flow to the heart. Hey, who needs vitamin C when we have a thankful heart, right? Yeah. People who describe themselves as being grateful tend to have less stress and less depression than the bulk of the population. So, for all its benefits, gratitude just doesn't come naturally to us. And allow me to give you an example of that from the Word of God. If you have your Bibles, or if you have the worship Bible, uh, I think it's page 876. It's Luke chapter 17, verses 11 uh, through um, 18. Uh, or you can just read uh, from the screen here. And it says, On the way to Jerusalem, he, he being Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. How many were healed? How many came back to say thank you? One. One out of ten. One out of ten. I have read this passage of Scripture for many, many years, and I always have the same thought. How sad. How sad. Now, even in our culture today, pretty much outside the church, when someone shows gratitude or, or, gives, or says thank you outside the church, I'm taken back by that. And that's sad. I mean, it really is. Um, author, speaker, Max Lucado tells about living as an American in Brazil. And one day as he was walking along the street on his way to the university to teach a class, he felt a tug on his pants leg. Turning around, he saw a little boy about five or six years old with dark beady eyes and a dirty little face. The little boy looked up at the big American and said, bread, sir, please. He was a little beggar boy and Lucado said, there are always little beggar boys in the streets of Brazil. Usually I turn away from them because there are so many and you just can't feed them all. But there was something so compelling about this little boy that I couldn't turn away. So taking his hand, I said, come with me. And I took him into a coffee shop. Max told the owner, I'll have a cup of coffee and give the boy a piece of pastry, whatever he wants. Since the coffee counter was at the other end of the store, Max walked on, got a cup of coffee, forgetting about the little boy because beggar boys usually get the bread, then run back, run back out to the streets and disappear. But this boy didn't do that. After he got his pastry, he went over to the big American and just stood there until Lucado felt his staring eyes. Lucado said, I turned and looked at him. 
standing up, his eyes just about hit my belt buckle. Then slowly, his eyes came up until they met mine. The little boy, holding his pastry in one hand, looked up and said, Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Lucado said, I was so touched by the boy's thanks that I would have bought him the entire store. I sat there for another 30 minutes late for my class, just thinking about a little beggar boy who came back and said, thank you. Keep in mind, this boy wasn't prompted by his mother or his father. He gave thanks because he was truly thankful. Now, a couple days, most of us will sit around a beautiful Thanksgiving table, eating good food with good family and hopefully good conversations. Well, let's be honest. We're going to stuff ourselves silly with food. Am I right? We're going to enjoy family. And you know what? We're going to go and enjoy football. There are three good games on. Apparently, the Redskins and the Cowboys are playing. So I know it's going to be a great day. And we need to give thanks for the food. We need to give thanks for the family and the friends. And you know what? Give thanks for football. You know, seriously, I'm a New York Giants fan. We're two and seven. I'm actually thankful they're not playing. All right? So, hey, be nice. Be nice. All right? It's good. It's good to give thanks. But listen, as Christians, cultivating a spirit of thankfulness should not be a seasonal pursuit. Okay, it just shouldn't be on Thanksgiving or the holidays. Matter of fact, we are commanded to give thanks. In the Old Testament, they were required to give a thanks offering. In the New Testament, we're told to be thanks in all circumstances. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, all circumstances. You know what? Easier said than done, I know. Because we all go through trials and tribulations. We all have struggles. But you know what? When we can just focus on our blessings and give thanks to God, it puts everything in the right perspective. That's why giving thanks will improve your health by focusing on Jesus. Um, if you attend the first service, then you know who Mimi Gert is. Is Mimi here, by the way? Good because she will get upset in a moment and hit me later. <laughs> Mimi is 90-plus years young. This woman is a prayer warrior. She prays for the needs of this church every single day. She comes early every Sunday morning with a group of people, and she prays for the services. Mimi is the inspiration for this service. Four or five weeks ago, she came up to me. She calls me dude. Hey, dude. How come you never give answers to prayer? I was silent. I said, Mimi, you're right. We don't. My bad. We need to do that. Because, folks, I am telling you, God is and has been doing some amazing things in this church, and you need to hear about it. And I can tell you as elders, we talk about this all the time, and we need to do better, and we will. And this morning, this is a different service. You're going to hear what God is doing, and you're going to be touched, and I hope and pray you will be blessed. You're not going to hear a message from me. In a moment, I'm going to step down. You're not going to hear a message from the elders. You're going to hear a message from the people of this church, and you're going to be blessed. So 
I'm going to stop talking so you can get blessed. All right? So, Stephen Joyce, brother, come up here. Uh, God is doing some amazing things in Steve's life. I want you to hear about it. But let me just give a disclaimer real quick here. Uh, we have a number of testimonies. We've asked every person who's giving a testimony to read it. All right? We have to be with time. All right? Stay on script. So they're going to read from their paper. I will tell you this. You're just getting the highlights. At dinner today, ask, ask them some questions because God's doing some really great things. Brother, bless us. Thank you, Dennis. Good morning, everyone. If my voice cracks a little bit, excuse me. I'm not a public speaker, but uh, I talk too much. But uh, <laughs> but I'm not a public not in a public setting so much. Uh, as Dennis said, my name is Stephen Joyce, um, and here's my testimony. I was born in Annapolis and have spent my entire life entire life in Maryland. Uh, I'd like to tell you the story of how God has uh, been drawing me to Himself over the years. And please excuse me ahead of time if I get a little emotional. My first memorable exposure to Jesus was with my Aunt Judy, my babysitter from four years old until about sixth grade. She regular, regularly told me, Jesus loves you. That's all I can really remember about Jesus, but I recall starting to feel that there was something bigger out there. My parents divorced soon after I was born, and I lived with my mom until the age of 14. I had no real exposure to Jesus other than celebrating Christmas and Easter. I never really knew why we did these things, but what kid's going to turn down gifts twice a year for mom and dad? Even though I was baptized as an infant, I had no idea what this really meant, and I certainly don't remember it. We only went to church nearby to attend a wedding or two. Alcohol consumption was a regular sight for me while living with my mom. She was a good mother, but I can now see that her drinking was to help ease the pain of the divorce and the stress of raising my brothers and me. I went to live with my dad and stepmom at 14, and things seemed pretty normal. We regularly attended church, but I was really only interested in trying to impress girls with my stunning good looks. I don't remember any impactful discussion about Jesus. My dad, who was also later saved in life, recently told me that there was very little in the sermons about Christ at the time. Having said that, I remember the pastor being very kind to our family in the midst of some significant hardships. I believe now he was showing us Jesus through his actions. However, things were quite different when my mom, I'm, I'm sorry, my dad, stepmom and I would visit her family in South Carolina. I regularly saw her dad reading the Bible and praying. It seemed strange to me, but I figured that's what older people do. He was a very hardworking man and had a very peaceful way about him. We went to church that was very different than other churches I had previously attended because I was required to go to Sunday school and Jesus was praised a lot. We talked about the Bible and I remember the most impactful story being when Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac. I thought, would my own dad sacrifice me? I'm sure at times it probably crossed his mind. The next time I can remember Jesus pursuing me was when I was about 30 and dated a woman who regularly, regularly attended Catholic Mass. We'd go together even though we weren't trying to live a sinless life. While I respected her, my meeting with a priest actually turned me off. I, remember hearing, I don't remember hearing much anything about Jesus. Rather, I was given information about the church and what I needed to do to be accepted there. Works type things. I left feeling just as empty as I had felt before. Even though my relationship with this woman ended soon thereafter, I distinctly remember a feeling of immense peace in my heart one day while reading through some informational material I picked up at the church. It literally brought me to tears. 
In 2007, I married for the first time, and that was a real eye-opener. My former wife's dad was Jewish, and her mom was Catholic. Every year, one of the questions was, should we put up a tree this year? We wanted to try to maintain um, peace with, uh, with her father. We still put up the tree and celebrated Christmas and Easter, but now for the first time I was eager to find out the why behind these holidays. Plus, with being the father of two girls who are now 10 and 8, one of which is sitting right over there, I wanted them to actually understand why we celebrate things like Christmas and Easter. The problems with my first marriage ran much deeper than whether we put up a Christmas tree or not, so the marriage ended in 2013. During my first marriage, and yet and after yet another brush with the law, I was required by the court to attend Alcoholics Anonymous, which is a spiritually based recovery program. Hi, my name is Steve, and I'm an alcoholic. I've said that many times. In AA, Jesus continued to pursue me. Sometimes a speaker would acknowledge his higher power as being Jesus, and so I began to crave more information. While the temptation for me to drink had decreased, I was still living a very self-centered life. Then in 2013-2014, God was really pursuing me, but I, being so intelligent, continued to run away from God and two other things. Finally, however, when I was completely broken, desperate, and alone, I simply asked God for peace, that same peace that I felt when I read that material many years prior. And he did. Most notably, he brought me peace through Christ. He saved me on May 31st, 2015, and I was baptized a couple of months later. God has graciously done so much in my life in the last three years. I asked God for peace, and he has granted it in more ways than I could have ever imagined. I reconnected with and married Robin, who is the greatest love of my life. Jesus has saved both of my daughters, and my 10-year-old has actually started talking to her mother about Jesus. Additionally, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he has set me free from the bondage of alcoholism. Now that the Holy Spirit resides in me, instead of willfully turning to the bottle to bring me internal peace, I pray for God to remove it, and the temptation is washed away. I understand now that Jesus has already, has already taken all of my sin to the cross. The shame I carried because of my drinking is now gone. Lastly, God has given me incredible friendships through a discipleship triad, the kind we've been talking about uh, for months now, and has worked mightily through it. I'm eager to continue the the same impactful and purposeful discipleship with others. I'm so thankful he has made me a new man, and I'm excited to help anyone who he puts in my path. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Steve. I'd like to invite Chriselle Miraflor to come. Sometimes in your journey, you have to wait. Yourself. Bless us. Oh, I am not that tall. <laughs> Just bring it a little bit. <laughs> Hi. I am the tiny little Filipina who hides in the shadows on stage with Second Service Band. Now, I'm sure a lot of you are wondering this, but no, I am not 12. <laughs> I am actually double that. I was born and raised in Southern California. My dad is a pastor, and my parents lead a church there. So I was raised in a pretty strong Christian environment. 
I graduated with a psych degree from a private Christian college in California as well. After graduating in 2016, I was offered the opportunity to move to Northern Virginia to work for Jill's House, a nonprofit Christian organization that serves children with special needs and their families. I knew that moving to the East Coast and starting a totally new life was going to be challenging. I would be leaving behind everything familiar, my family and friends, a lifelong church community, beautiful beaches, delicious food, and perfect weather because I'm cold all the time here, like right now. <laughs> but I had a burning desire to do so because I was 100% certain that Jesus was calling me to Jill's house. Unfortunately, my parents thought otherwise. To them, me taking the job meant that I was not supporting them in their ministry. It meant that I did not respect their desires for me. To them, me leaving meant disobedience. Ultimately, I followed what I believe Jesus was calling me to do. I served at Jill's house for two years, and then in June, I sensed Jesus calling me to pursue my next season of ministry here in Waldorf. However, <laughs> I have been waiting for God to provide employment for almost five months. This waiting period has led to a lot of doubt and discouragement. It led to insecurities as rejections came in. It led to angst as my parents had initially, initially given me a deadline before they would force me to move home. It led me to feel absolutely humiliated because I was not making my parents proud. I knew I was a disappointment as confident as I was in God's calling, I still felt a lack of security, a good job, because I knew that this is how I could win my parents' blessing for me to stay here. After all, the requirement was, we'll allow you to stay there if you find a good job with good pay and good benefits. Satan flooded my mind with negativity. He knew exactly how to attack me because generally I'm a very positive person. But I was miserable. I had been wearing a mask, happy and joyful on the outside, but on the inside my heart was crumbling. Plainly the enemy had stolen my joy, a spiritual attack that I was not prepared for. I questioned God and why he had me in this situation. I questioned if I should just give up and move back home. After all, I wasn't seeing him move, at least in the way my parents wanted him to. My tension was, I feel like Jesus has me here, but I need a good job to please my parents. The longer I sat in the waiting, though, I realized that God was using it to deal with deeper issues in my heart. It wasn't about unemployment anymore. God was using this difficult situation to reveal a powerful stronghold, my need for human approval. God was using this difficult situation, I'm sorry, more specifically, my parents' approval was paramount in my life. I had been trying to find the perfect job that would satisfy them and make them proud. I was so desperate to win their approval that I was tempted to put their will above Almighty God's. Through this situation and my feelings and emotions in it, 
The Lord has been faithful to reveal my sin of seeking human approval as my greatest satisfaction over him. He invited me to repent, forgave me, and has since allowed me to experience and know that he is better and that the purpose he has for my life is worth this heartbreak. He is enough. Sacrificing for his sake, whatever that looks like, and being close to him is better than the approval of my parents because ultimately, as Psalm 118.9 says, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. I'm so thankful for all that God has shown me and taught me in this season through private time in prayer and the scriptures, spirit-filled Bible study community, and personal discipleship. The heart-changing belief that he is the perfect parent and the powerful gospel that says, because of Jesus' blood, there's nothing I can do to make God love me more, and there's nothing I can do to make God love me less is absolutely setting me free. You can maybe be seated. I am going to invite our next testimony up, Miss Courtney Dixon. You can come this way, babe. I am so excited, mainly because we share the same name. That's why I got to introduce her. So this is Miss Courtney Dixon, and she is going to share her testimony with you of God's grace. I'm not this short. Hi, I've been a part of Grace Church for almost 10 years, and I attended GCA for high school. I married my husband, Doug, in 2016, and we have a toddler named Dougie. From as early as middle school, I've struggled with finding my satisfaction, value, identity, purpose, fulfillment in my boyfriends. It consumed my thoughts and fueled my decisions. I needed to feel needed and was not content being alone. I was addicted to having a boyfriend, and I neglected my relationship with God in order to continue in unhealthy dating relationships. The Holy Spirit had convicted me for being too physically intimate with my first boyfriend, but then I would turn around and eventually commit the same sins in other relationships. This behavior always prevailed, even when I really wanted to repent and turn away from my sin. I remained in this cycle and didn't pursue authentic accountability with a mature Christian woman. I was afraid that if I did, she would be shocked by my sin and tell me to leave whatever boyfriend I had at the time. For all I knew, people saw me as this sweet, innocent girl who got the highest Christian character awards in high school and wouldn't miss a Bible study. But inside, I struggled with feeling unhappy and ashamed. Then I became pregnant. I remember being scared to death to help people. I was pregnant, but I did, and I was surprisingly met with grace and love. Doug proposed, and we got married. I was relieved that I would no longer feel conviction for being physically intimate outside of marriage. However, our marriage did not resolve my root issue, my need to have my needs met by a person and what they provided for me. Instead, I was now looking to my husband to make me feel whole. And made him my functional God. But by idolizing him, I only realized how much of a sinner that man really was. (laughs) He's over there. No, just kidding. (laughs) 
<laughs> I tried to control him and make Doug into who I thought he needed to be. My first year of marriage was an emotional roller coaster because I placed an unrealistic expectation that only Jesus could meet on a sinner. Again, even though I was married and now had a beautiful baby, my heart's needs still weren't met, and I still didn't have ultimate peace in my spirit. God was gracious to give me a taste of what life could be like if I was free from this bondage during a Bible study lesson. My Bible study teacher gave a message intended for the single women in our group to hear, but God knew that I, the only married attendee that night, needed to hear it. She basically pointed out that Jesus' great commission is not go and get married. It's go and make disciples, which to me meant marriage is not everything. That God created me to make disciples and not just to be someone's wife. This gave me hope. Hope that there is more abundance and more freedom than what I was walking in. So when the opportunity came, I decided to be honest about my struggles with a godly older woman, and Jesus used her to reveal the sin that I have been slaved to for as long as I can remember, codependency or relationship addiction. In its broadest sense, codependency is an addiction to people. It's trying to control inner feelings by controlling people on the outside. In my life, codependency first looked like me pursuing outside romantic relationships in order to make me feel whole, but then transitioned into trying to control my husband. I even remember as a little girl that my favorite part of playing was when I was pretending to be a damsel in distress and was rescued by a man. I was obsessed with having my own happily ever after with this perfect man. Think Hallmark or Disney princess movies. So then even as a Christian, my idolatry counterfeited the only real, true, and constant source of joy, Jesus Christ. My thoughts and actions over the years revealed that I struggled with believing God alone could fully meet my needs. After God showed me that not even a husband could satisfy me, I was so eager to begin something new. At the beginning of this year, I began to spend as much time with God as I could. As Romans 12, 2 says, God the Spirit began transforming me through the renewing of my mind with Bible study, scripture memory, and prayer. Also, I began to be transparent and honest about my sin and struggles with authentic communities led by godly women and ultimately the Holy Spirit. God has gifted me with new encouraging friendships that he's using to disciple me and just do life with. Additionally, Jesus has allowed me to begin a discipleship relationship with a wonderful young woman. It came about after I had the opportunity at a youth ministry to share my testimony publicly, which is not my favorite, <laughs> about Jesus setting me free from codependency. So now I can disciple someone. I am so thankful for this abundant season, and I'm excited to see what God will graciously do in my life as he completes his work in me, as Philippians 1.6 promises. Thank you. Thank you, Courtney. Um, I'd like to invite a very special couple up here, uh, Mike and Melissa Rowe. As the Rows are coming, um, I have to tell you a quick story. Two weeks ago, I had a sleepless night. I was thinking about this service, and the Rows came to mind because I know a little bit of their story. 
and I really wanted the Rose to give a testimony. Although, knowing their story, I wouldn't give it if it was me. But that morning, I ran into the office and told Courtney, I, we need to have the Rose. You talk to Melissa, I'll talk to Mike. But they both have to agree on this. And without hesitation, they both said the same thing. If this would help one individual, they would do it. I so appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thank you. I grew up in a home with no mention of Jesus. My parents occasionally mentioned God and who he was, but never talked about Jesus and what he did. Mike, however, had grown up in a Christian home, so it wasn't until I met Mike that I was introduced to Jesus and Christianity. We began attending Grace, and in 2004, we accepted Christ, became members, and were baptized together. Shortly after, we began attending church with Mike's dad until he moved to Luray, Virginia in 2011. With Mike's dad gone, we had planned to return to Grace. However, before getting plugged back into a church family, we got caught up in life's busyness. Soccer games, swim lessons, jobs, rest, anything and everything began to consume our time. And at that point, something was just always more important to us than the things of God. <clears throat> For Mike, the more important became things related to his greed, pride, and selfishness. He began to purchase high-priced items because he earned it. His time was consumed with taking money from the family and putting it into a Harley, one that he seemed to care more about than his family. His evenings were spent alone in the garage getting high because in his words, I'm not a drunk, I don't beat you, it's not affecting my job or hurting you and the kids, and besides, it makes me feel good. He became very distant and I began to feel that he abandoned us. And for me, the more important became a desire to be an equal with my husband, to be wanted and to feel the love we once had. I had an incorrect understanding of biblical submission. I felt that I didn't have a right to speak into our financial situation or spending because I wasn't contributing nearly as much as he was. I felt that he loved his time alone getting high and pouring money into a bike more than he loved spending time with the kids and I. I had longed to be what Mike desired. I wanted to make six figures like his ex. I wanted to be that picture of his Harley that he would pull out to show people all the work and effort that he'd put into it. I wanted his family to be what he talked about, what he wanted. And as a result, I shut down, became distant, and I was unsure how to communicate my happiness because I was afraid that if he knew, he would divorce me. Since Mike wasn't on social media, I started using it as an outlet for my emotions and as a platform to express my unhappiness. A friend of a friend commented on one of my posts and his words were sweet to my heart. Social media moved to text messages, which progressed to phone calls, then escalated to an invitation to go to dinner, and I did something I thought I would never do. Ultimately, it led to my infidelity and had an affair. I became dependent on this man to meet my needs that weren't being met by my husband. Being a Christian, I knew that this was wrong, but Satan kept whispering, it feels good to be wanted, to be desired, and you deserve more than Mike, than Mike has given. This reckless behavior continued for months. I was sneaking around and obviously lying to my husband about it. I became wary. I was tired of living a double life. Fear of getting caught. 
I'm sorry, and the burden of that sneaky behavior became heavy. I had also now become a slave to fear. Fear of being caught, fear of embarrassment, fear that if I ended the affair, that he would expose it to Mike. Fear that if Mike knew, he would divorce me. I loved my husband and I wanted my marriage more than I wanted this illicit relationship. So when Mike had finally had enough of the lies and deceit, he demanded answers and I confessed and ended the affair. My confession led to pain, bitterness, and betrayal. There was loss of trust and much anger. There were many tears shed because the pain was that real and it was gut-wrenching. Mike was angry, rightfully so. He wanted me out of the house immediately, but I wasn't leaving without my kids. And I'll never forget hearing him say, one of us has to go, and this was our home that you broke. You need to leave. And you're not taking the kids with you. And we, were, we weren't walking with Christ, so there wasn't much hope for us. Divorce was the answer. We told the kids that mommy and daddy were getting a divorce, and that right now we didn't know what was going to happen in the future. And for two agonizing nights, we cried ourselves to sleep in different rooms of the house. And I remember my, my crying, um, turning to screams, oh God, what have I done? This wasn't supposed to happen like this. I'm not leaving without my kids. I'm scared. I'm lost. I'm broken. And my world as I knew it was over. I didn't know how I was going to fix it. My thoughts became suicidal. He and the kids are better off without me. I'd rather die than have my kids grow up in a home without both parents. Mike came home that Friday, and he said he needed to get away and think. So he went to his parents' house for the weekend. And when he left, I got on my knees again, and I began to pray. And I begged God to save my marriage. I told him that I would give anything, do anything. I confessed my sin to God and asked for forgiveness and mercy. I also asked him to make me strong so that I could get through this. I knew I had to ask Mike to forgive me if and when he came back. I laid there and I cried exhausted, but in the deepest of desperation, again, I pleaded with God once more. Before closing my eyes, I was asleep maybe an hour, and then I heard a voice. I came in, I said, Melissa, Melissa, you have to get up. We need to talk, Melissa. Sit up and look at me. I am so sorry this is all my fault. I need you to forgive me. I was at my parents talking about the situation, and my mom said, Mike, we love you and feel bad for what is going on. But the truth and reality is, is that you are the main reason that she did this. You weren't treating her well. Silence filled the room, and I felt the Holy Spirit just descend upon me. It was a feeling I had never felt before. I was convicted. At the moment, I realized that I was a huge contributing factor to this situation. And the anger that I felt suddenly turned to remorse. I told my mom that I needed to go home and fix my marriage. This was the moment for me that I knew I was truly saved and that my marriage was going to be saved as well. And so with that, I thought, how can this be? I cheated on him, and he's asking me to forgive him. Of course, I forgave him, and I knew I still needed to ask for his forgiveness, and I did. And he graciously, graciously forgave me as well. But we needed help because we, we couldn't fix this on our own. We knew we should seek a Christian counselor, but we didn't know who. 
by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we returned to the family of grace and met Pastor Bill Walker. God chose him to be this human vessel of grace at this critical season in our lives. And with Pastor Bill's help, we pursued healing from the pain, the bitterness, the betrayal, and the loss of trust. I distinctly re recall him asking me to share with Mike and him why I did what I did. No condemnation, just a starting point. I knew that my feelings of being made to be, feel inferior caused my insecurities and weakness. I felt less than, and I was trying to find my value and worth in others. The Spirit spoke through him that day when he said, no man will ever satisfy you the way that Jesus can. You need Jesus, and in him, you will find your value and your worth. And it was then that the Holy Spirit entered me, and I knew that he was right. I needed Jesus. So in the months following our counseling, I fully surrendered my life to Christ. I immersed myself in the scriptures because I really wanted to know Jesus and have a vibrant, abundant, personal, and daily relationship with him. We also both entered into purposeful and intentional discipleship relationships with very mature believers. And this was a huge part of our healing and restoration and our growth in Jesus. We learned that turning our backs on Jesus was an invitation for Satan to go to work in our lives and that we must fight against his lies. We have seen the power of grace and redemption through knowing and trusting him. And God, God has saved our marriage, not man. God called Mike into full-time Christian ministry and has given us the privilege of discipling others in this walk of faith with Jesus. It has been nearly six years. We don't and won't sugarcoat it. It hasn't been easy. This is our messy but beautiful story. Someone once said, for every pain, God has a plan. Our brokenness was not our enemy, just a friend that we hadn't met. We have learned to live and to love like Jesus, and ultimately, I am thankful for this season in our lives that it transpired, because without it, we wouldn't truly know the depth and the beauty of the cross and the redemption that it offers. And to quote Psalm 137, put your hope in the Lord, for the Lord is unfailing, and with him is full redemption. We have one more gorgeous testimony in this place. Stephen Duransky, I'm going to invite you to come up. Uh, a couple months ago, Stephen talked about the Lord setting him free from fear. And this is what happens when we are no longer slaves to fear. Uh, hi. So, yeah, as Courtney said, you may remember a couple months ago, I shared how God gave me strength to act and serve him in spite of many of the fears that were in my life. And one of the things that he's led me to do since then is starting a Bible club at my public high school. Um, and through this whole process, it's been really amazing to see God's hand following me and going ahead of me. So right before the school year started, I sent an email to my vice principal asking him to approve the club to me and telling him that I already had a sponsor lined up who would be there with the club. In his reply, he approved the club to meet during school hours, but he also told me that the sponsor would be a lady named Dr. Respis, who I had never met and who was not the person that I had initially reached out to. I had no clue what she was like as a person and I didn't know anything about her faith or her religious background, but once I met her, I realized that God provided the perfect sponsor for this club. Dr. Respis is amazing at connecting with people. She has a gift for getting the kids to open up and share what's on their hearts. And she's always inviting the kids that she teaches to come to the club. Basically, she's great at everything I'm really bad at. <laughs> so now fast forward a couple months, and we've been meeting weekly since the start of the school year during school. Um, God has grown the group of people from three people at our first meeting to now 15 people who were at our last meeting. 
And he's really brought the group together as friends and as people who actually want to be there every week, which is great. Um, as the group leader, I have the responsibility and privilege of preparing lessons for us every week, which has been a really humbling and enriching experience. Through this, God has taught me about, for one, the universal reach of scripture. Scripture is truth, meaning that it is applicable to the lives of everyone who reads it, regardless of how mature they are in their faith. I've tried to make it clear from the beginning that this club is open to everyone, saved or unsaved. In the same meeting, I had one person who asked me to prepare specific lessons about books of the Bible and even verses that he wanted to know more about. And then I had someone tell me, I have no clue what we're talking about. Just talk about everything there is to know. <laughs> everything is a lot to cover in 45 minutes. But despite this big difference in biblical knowledge, it's been amazing to see God reach the whole group of people through the same lessons. People have testified to pulling things from every lesson and applying it to their lives in ways big and small, unique to their own situations. And this has also made me trust God much more. I spend lots of time and I try to put thought into the lessons that I prepare, but at the end of the day, I'm powerless on my own. Any good that comes from anything that's said or done at this club is because God's at work there, not me and not anyone else that's there. God is also using this club in ways that I can't even fully tell. One week there was a girl sitting in Dr. Respa's room who was supposed to be doing a makeup test, and instead she sat there with her test blank in front of her, staring at our group, listening to what we were doing the whole time. She never, she hasn't come back yet, and she didn't say anything to us while we were there, but who knows how God's using what she heard in her life right now. Or there were these two boys who ran into Dr. Respa's room right as the bell was ringing, not meaning to come to our club, just needing a place to go. They got intrigued and stayed, and now these two have started inviting their friends to a club that they didn't even mean to go to in the first place. I'm so thankful for this opportunity that's got, that God has given me to serve, and it's been amazing to see how he's used this to teach me and to teach the other people. He's grown my faith so much through this, and I'm excited to see how he's going to continue growing both my faith and the faith of the people who come to this club. Thank you.